Welcome to the Humans and Earth podcast. We bring you inspiration and practical resources for healing our planet and ourselves. It is time for soulful contributions that regenerate life on Earth. I'm Helen Claire Harmon, a thought leader and teacher who believes we're ready to renew Earth and heal ourselves in the process. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome back to the Humans and Earth podcast. Today I'm interviewing Aaron William Perry. He is a writer, public speaker, impact entrepreneur, consultant, and father. The author of Why on Earth, Get Smarter, Feel Better, Heal the Planet. Aaron works with the Why on Earth community team and impact ambassadors to inform and inspire diverse communities through unique, thriving, and sustainability messages of hope, empowerment, and action. He has launched and owned companies in the recycling, renewable energy, and local organic food industries. Aaron consults to dozens of innovative organizations, companies, and entrepreneurs. An experienced business and literary writer, Aaron holds an MA from the University of Colorado, where he studied philosophy, literature, environmental policy, and sustainable development. While in graduate school, he spent weekends and holidays studying permaculture and indigenous wisdom throughout the Rocky Mountain region. He resides in Colorado, where he is continually in awe of the weather, appreciative of the singing birds, and entertained by the antics of his backyard free-range chickens. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you, Helen. It's great to be here with you today. Really happy to be in conversation with you. So when I learned about your work, it became clear that it's very focused, but also somewhat diversified. And uh, I've just read your bio, so we all have a sense of some of the ways that your work has spread out. But I wondered if you wanted to begin your conversation with us by telling us how this got started. Um, Is your current work an offshoot of long-term interests from childhood or youth or the result of big turning points at some point in adulthood. How did you get on this path? Yeah, thanks, Helen. I um, appreciate that question. And it's it's both a, a wonderful open-ended invitation to share a bit about myself. And it's also a bit of a daunting question uh, because I think there are many layers in my own personal experience in terms of what has brought me to do the work that I'm doing. And some of that goes clear back to my early childhood and to some of the experiences I had in the forests of the Pacific Northwest as a kid, uh, which I actually talk a bit about in the introduction of the book, Why on Earth, as a way to sort of create some context. Um, And and the book, uh, uh, I guess in in a way sort of mirroring my own life and career has a lot of different dimensions and threads running through it. It, In the course of 33 chapters, it is exploring ways that we can cultivate increased health, well-being, thriving in our own personal day-to-day lives with our family, our friends, our our neighborhoods, our communities, uh, utilizing strategies that are deeply aligned with global uh, requirements and opportunities for stewardship, regeneration, and sustainability. And in, in a strange way, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you can't necessarily boil that all down to one single topic. We're human beings and, and we're very uh, complex and have many facets to our experiences and our life journeys. And so, you know, starting with that kind of early childhood foundation that was very uh, dear and impactful to me, uh, as I went through school and high school and into college and university, I got increasingly engaged in both the social and the environmental aspects of some of these issues, while I was also cultivating very uh, tangible and foundational skills in business, uh, accounting, finance, executive management, this sort of thing where I've had businesses and do a lot of consulting work now. And so for me now, it's, it's such a joy uh, to have a vast uh, set of skills and experiences that can be very helpful to folks I'm collaborating with, but also to have this very uh, deep, precious, tender, soft, heart-centric way of relating to our earth and to 
the living creatures and our fellow humans that make up this great adventure we're all sharing on this spaceship that we call Gaia. Yeah, I appreciate that. I often say that I think one of the ways to describe what was missing in our 20th century environmental efforts is they pretty much stayed in the intellectual realm in a lot of ways, and we focused on politics and law and activism, and those were important foundations. But the heart-centered aspect or the aspect of our physical, emotional, spiritual interdependence with the whole natural world and the planet, I don't think those got enough attention in the 20th century. And I think a lot of people are building that now. So I really appreciate that you referred to that. Yeah, I think my, my experience is that what we're up to, what we're faced with, what we're confronted by, the opportunities we have right in front of us, uh, really call for an inside-out approach. And I, I was struck, speaking a few years back, with my beloved permaculture teacher, Scott Pittman, whom I consider an elder. You know, he taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people uh, the strategies, strategies and techniques of land stewardship called permaculture. And it was only in the last several years that he really came to the spiritual understanding. I remember him telling me, I was in, on the phone in my car and tears came to my eyes. He said, if we're going to get through what we're facing in the next several years, it, there has to be a spiritual component to this. And a lot of these strategies and techniques that came out of the 20th century are what we might call horizontal, uh, dealing with human institutions, dealing with things like engineering and technology and technique. But what perhaps we're being invited to do a whole lot more of is what we might call the vertical, engaging more deeply with the cosmic as well as the, the earth-centric, telluric forces and energies that Lord knows our ancestors were likely all very connected to at certain points in time. Uh, and, and in our modern culture, we've by and large become quite disconnected from these. And, you know, this harkens back to the old hermetic uh, philosophy as above, so below. And the more we engage in those kinds of uh, practices in a humble way, I think it not only brings greater meaning and dimensionality to our day-to-day -day lives, but probably also uh, allows us to become more effective and impactful practitioners of stewardship and regeneration. And I'd love at some point in our conversation to chat just a bit about what that means in terms of the practical arts, working with soil and plants in the biodynamic uh, framework, among others. Yeah, absolutely. I love the biodynamic approach. And I've spent some time reading in biodynamics and taking students to biodynamic farms. And I, I'm very, very attracted to that approach, as well as to permaculture. So I love to talk about those, those actions, those action approaches. I think you're really correct that we are looking for these more vertical approaches, these more heart-centered approaches, because 20th century environmental activism failed to convince people of the why, right? They, we didn't manage, I mean, I, I was not an environmental activist in the 20th century, I was still growing up, but you know, people who were active then didn't manage to convince others of the why, the deep motivation. And I think that's what we are newly discovering and also reviving from the past. So tell us about your view of practices. You're welcome to talk about anything you want to there. You know, I, I really appreciate that. And uh, Helen, yeah, I mean, the why uh, is very much the big question that uh, underlies the book Why on Earth that I wrote. And in the, in the intro, I talk about what the title means, what Why on Earth means. It's a letter Y, right? So you can go to our website, whyonearth.org. And, and there are really three layers to this question of why. And, and one is it's speaking to our deeper sense of purpose and motivation. And clearly we have a lot of opportunities for our inner work to help harmonize things like our neurobiochemistry 
and we're, we're living in this remarkable time where the science is really converging with a lot of the spiritual and wisdom traditions from around the world and from different eras in time. And we are discovering more and more that this inner reality of our neurobiochemistry is so fundamental to our day-to-day being and so fundamental to our efficacy in the world as parents, as community participants and leaders and so on. And so that fundamental question of why was one of the layers of meaning. A second was there's a play on words with Gen Y, the millennial generation. And my children who are now 22 and 18 years old, each are just kind of uh, on, well, let's see, my daughter is a millennial and my son's on the cusp and I'm on the far cusp. Uh, I'm Gen X by just a few years. And so it was really writing and speaking and thinking for an audience of young adults as they're entering into their uh, adult lives and making decisions around career paths and family and so on. And as I was doing my research for the book, I came across this thing called the Pythagorean Y that was a symbolic image used in the Middle Ages with basically two pathways in our lifetime that can accumulate over time as we make lots of little decisions. One leading to a pretty wonderful, joyous, happy place, the other not so much. And back then it was probably more of a medieval morality uh, kind of meme, if you will. But in in a way it really embodies uh, the essence of the humble messaging that lies in the book Why on Earth, which is about, you know, this is really about a whole lot of little choices we're making uh, day in and day out. And with that, we have lots of opportunities for practices to cultivate greater uh, well-being and balance in our own lives. Little things often, like, for example, washing the dishes. And if we're so fortunate as to have running water that simply flows when we flip a lever, to have the awareness and consciousness and historic perspective to know that that is extraordinary. And that even today, many of our brothers and sisters on the planet don't have that luxury. And to be able to pause in that moment, no matter how busy we are, no matter how many emails we might think we need to return immediately, pause in that moment and connect with that water with gratitude and love, that water that flows through our bodies, that flows through all living creatures on this planet, animals and plants. And to develop a more humble and more sanctified type of relationship with that. And we know in the spiritual traditions, water is referenced all the time. And it may be that that's not metaphor. The properties of water, literally, uh, are so extraordinary and such a gift of the creator uh, that when we are interacting like that in the day-to-day, there, there is an extraordinary opportunity for us. And it's similar in our engagement in physical interaction with soil and, uh, and with the wind, right? And with flame, if we're perhaps lighting a candle for, for a bit of meditation. So as we work more closely with those simple elements in our day-to-day lives, there's something we might call magical that can arise and occur. And my sense is that as more and more of us engage in that, it will help transform our culture and our world in a rapid, tremendous manner. And our individual well-being, right? I'm really in harmony with your reference to that because one of the interests of my work is helping people to see that you don't try to contribute to well-being for the natural world as a purely altruistic act that doesn't have benefit for yourself. It has every benefit for yourself. And, you know, you mentioned gratitude for water and you were talking about neurobiology. We know now that emotions such as gratitude flood our body with beneficial chemistry that is literally conducive to our physical well-being as well as our emotional well-being. So I agree with you. I think we need to be talking up every angle of this human earth interrelationship such that well-being for one is well-being for the other and everyone benefits when life is thriving everyone suffers when life is not being tended and not thriving indeed yes we're, we're all connected and interconnected and, uh, there's a whole lot of that kind of perspective and insight woven through the book why on earth and 
I want to share with your audience uh, a special code so that if anyone wants to check out the ebook or the audio book, you can do that with a 33% discount. You can go to whyonearth.org and use the code humansandearth, uh, no punctuation, no spacing, and get that 33% discount. And when we came up with the subtitle of the book, which is Get Smarter, Feel Better, Heal the Planet, you'll notice two of those three things are very much about what's in it for me. And just earlier today, as I think some of your audience might be aware, I also host a podcast and it's such a joy to be a guest on yours, Helen. Just earlier today, I was interviewing Rennie Davis, the great uh, activist, uh, futurist and philosopher. And he was sharing some research that uh, has been done around literally sitting with the feeling of gratitude for a few days increases a sustained production of serotonin and dopamine, uh, which is what helps us feel really good. And here's that feel better part of the subtitle of Why on Earth. And, and there are so many simple things we can be doing in our day-to-day -day lives to become stewards of our neurobiochemistry, things like dopamine and serotonin. It's as if we're each a farmer, and this body of ours is ours to tend and take care of. And when we do a good job, boy, the uh, results are tremendous. And uh, you see a lot of folks who get good at this thing smiling quite a bit. And we joke among a lot of my friends in the biodynamic community that you find a biodynamic farmer and you'll see that man or woman smiling a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, because all their systems are in balance and harmony and they are definitely getting those serotonin and oxytocin benefits, including the fact that we now know, right, that exposure to soil seems to expose us to, I, I know it's uh, beneficial soil microorganisms. I think that's, that's the, the main exposure that are actually good for our brain chemistry. I mean, how amazing is that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so we ended up uh, putting out another smaller book called the Soil Stewardship Handbook that cuts right to the chase, uh, down and dirty, if you will, um, on some of these benefits coming from soil and our direct relationship with soil and also how soil and carbon cycle uh, works relative to atmosphere and climate stability, agriculture, food, nutrition, all these things. Soil is the core it's so interesting uh, to see even in our language that our word for human is so closely connected to our word for soil in, in many languages. So in Latin, we have human and the word humus. Uh, we also have humor and humility, right? And then in Hebrew, uh, the creation story, we have Adam or Adam being created from the Adama, the soil, the clay. Right. Yeah, so it's... we're literally, according to the Hebrew creation story, I, it's interesting you bring this up because I, I was just talking about this with a group of students. We're literally the dirt man, the dirt woman, the soil person. It's mind-blowing when you think about that in the Hebrew. Absolutely. And when we start getting into the more spiritual or esoteric significance of soil, we find in soil, living soil, right, a little handful of living organic soil is going to have billions if not trillions of organisms, living organisms. We have all the elements. We have the water, the earth, the fire, the air. With the human connection, we have the quintessence, the etheric, which if you're skeptical on this concept of ether, check out what our, our buddy Einstein said late in his career about the ether. It's quite something. And that soil connection is directly related to all the microbiology in our bodies and Rudolf Steiner, who created the biodynamic movement about 100 years ago, saw a direct connection between the soil on the farm and the human digestive tract, the gut, essentially. We have a bundle of nerves surrounding our digestive system that's known as the second brain. It has more nerve cells in it than our entire spinal column. And there's so much signaling happen, happening, billions uh, of signals per second from that gut region up to the rest of the body, up to the brain. There's a lot of science, Helen, as you're indicating, that shows the soil microbiology and our interaction with it affects cognitive performance, affects our immune systems. And so when we say get smarter, feel better, it's literal. 
that's not a joke. That's not a metaphor. It's literal. And the soil is absolutely central to all of this. And it turns out it's with soil and regeneration of soil that we get to help heal our communities, our ecosystems, and stabilize our climate. And the quick fact I want to share that's also in the Soil Stewardship Handbook, which, by the way, that same code will give you a, a 33% discount on the ebook version of Soil Stewardship Handbook, a 10% increase in soil carbon worldwide is equivalent to sequestering out of the atmosphere all of the fossil carbon we've released since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. So what this means is as we're doing more gardening, as we're doing more restorative permaculture and biodynamic work in our own yard, our own neighborhood, our own community, which is collaborating with the organisms, the plants to pull carbon out of the atmosphere, we literally, we humans literally have the opportunity to take atmospheric carbon levels back pre-industrial uh, levels and heal our world as a result. And it seems to me, Helen, that the opportunity is right in front of us. And if we're going to choose and say yes to that as a species, it almost necessarily means we're connecting more with our heart centers and doing more of that direct work with soil and with water. And connecting more to our gut, right? Yeah. More to our gut. It gives me so much hope and joy uh, knowing more and more folks are, are choosing that. And we have through our nonprofit organization, the Wyoners Community, a growing network of ambassadors around the country and worldwide, helping uh, share this and activate this further in their communities. So if any of your audience wants to engage on that front as well, we'd love to connect and chat about that too. Superb. I think it's really fantastic that you're doing that. If, if we can continue spreading this mass of scientific conclusions that are showing again and again and again in the last several years that, as you said, we can literally turn around climate change with regenerative soil care. If we can spread that message, I think the effect of hopefulness and optimism and engagement could really be huge, particularly because it's not a very complex reality or argument, people can easily realize regenerative soil care is also human health care in terms of the nutrition content of our foods and um, reducing our exposure to agricultural chemicals and giving farm workers, agricultural workers, actually a healthy, personally regenerative work environment instead of a toxic one. It is literally amazing to me how many problems we can solve through regenerative soil care. So I, it's something I talk up a lot. I actually teach a class about it, and I am thrilled that that's a focus of your work. So tell us, what do you recommend that sort of regular people do on a regular basis? On the one hand, I think more and more people are engaging in their activism, volunteer work, careers in sustainability broadly defined, and that is superb. Some people aren't necessarily called to make a big personal commitment through their work or their volunteer hours, but they want to do things through their lifestyle. So what do you tell people who are kind of wondering what should I do? Should I get an electric car or solar panels or have a garden or meditate every day? Where do I begin? I would say yes to all that and, and change the oars to ands. Those are all things we can be doing. And in the book, I do put a lot of uh, effort and energy into walking through a whole bunch of opportunities that we have in our day-to-day -day lives. A few that come to mind right now include the power we have through our consumer demand to purchase the products that are being created, generated, made in mindful ways with a focus on health and well-being. So that means choosing the regenerative organic foods and fibers over the other stuff that's out there. And yeah, the toxicity in agriculture is a huge deal and cannot be, I think, exaggerated in terms of its impacts. It, it is one of the fundamental drivers of the cancer epidemic we're seeing uh, throughout our nation and, and many other regions of the world. And probably neurological disease as well. Indeed. Yes, indeed. 
So there's a lot we can do in the marketplace as it were. I think also connecting with the soil, growing something, getting our hands in the dirt, sitting under a tree, listening to the birds. There's also research on that, by the way, for cognitive performance and stress reduction and all that. But literally getting that physical connection with the soil is essential. And one of the core things we can do in our kitchens is compost all those kitchen scraps, right? Because when those carrot tops and that napkin and that coffee filter go to the landfill, it decomposes in a way that creates more methane, exacerbating the heat trapping effects of the atmosphere. Whereas instead, if we simply compost that same organic material, we're building soil and we're literally helping the biology pull carbon out of the atmosphere. And we'll get also a whole bunch of great fertilizer for our flowers and vegetables and trees and so on. So I would say that those are right at our fingertips in terms of actions that we can take. I think there's also the opportunity for us to take that time and spaciousness, put the phone away for a little while, go walk in the woods or sit under the tree listening to the birds and tune more into our own personal why. And whether it's big or small, whatever we're called to do, that can be in service to this regenerative impulse that is emergent now in the world. To the extent we say yes to that, we're probably also saying yes to a very wonderful quality of life and a much deeper sense of meaning and purpose, which it seems is essential actually for our well-being. So that's kind of in a nutshell, Helen, I guess how I would um, respond, uh, you know, spontaneously. I think that's really helpful. I'm in agreement with you about, well, composting for sure, because that's like magic. But with looking for the personal why, it may be that you want to contribute to your particular community and there are food security, food justice needs. And so then, you know, that's a pathway or whatever it is, you know, you may be really intrigued by renewable energy or um, cars that are not completely fossil fuel powered or not at all. So I think that, you know, again, maybe working with children or the elderly or birds, conservation, there are literally thousands of options and finding that personal through line of connection is, and meaning and the reason is, is really important for people. And, uh, you know, not everybody finds it right away, but, but to explore and look for that is really rewarding. Yes. Yes. I would also add to this, um, our friends and partners over at 1% for the planet recently launched a mechanism for us as individuals uh, to get involved with, with what they're doing, which is essentially taking 1% of what we earn and giving it to environmental organizations that are doing uh, this kind of regenerative and community mobilization work. So that's another mechanism, another way we can engage and get involved and help support this incredible movement that's coming alive all around the world. I can tell that you and I are really on the same page in believing that there are a lot of reasons to actually be optimistic right now as opposed to pessimistic. And yet I do encounter people all the time who are really afraid. Um, They get most of their information maybe about what's going on from the mainstream media, which is often not reporting on all the beneficial things that are occurring in regenerative agriculture or sustainable business or, you know, all the the various areas. And so I'm continually looking for ways to have that conversation with people who are really afraid, really discouraged, really pessimistic, who think, humans on earth are toast, you know, we're at the end. How do you see that or how do you have that conversation with people? Yeah, it's, I, it's an important conversation, Helen. And I think empathy and compassion calls on each of us to be sensitive to that. And, you know, there are a whole lot of us in the world right now and 
we're having, although in some ways very similar experiences, there's also a lot of diversity in what's being experienced. So when we're encountering this fear and anxiety, um, it's actually one of the things that's come up in conversation more and more in the last few months. And I suppose that's not surprising given some of the dynamics at play in the world right now. But indeed, you know, we're dealing with a pandemic and it's a pandemic of fear on one level that uh, may indeed be one of the more challenging situations that, that is affecting us. I'm struck that uh, the wisdom of the ages tends to call out fear as one of the things we need to be vigilant about and mindful of. And there is a neurobiochemical component, right? When we go into fight or flight, for example, there are certain uh, neurotransmitters and hormones uh, being produced at massive and rapid uh, quantities. There's also, I think, an opportunity for us to focus on the love, gratitude, joy aspects of experience that can almost flood out the fear, if you will. I love how... George Lucas deals with this in the so-called fiction of Star Wars. You know, he was uh, a student of Joseph Campbell, and Joseph Campbell was a student of human culture. And Joseph Campbell brought together all kinds of wisdom from many, many traditions. And George Lucas wove that into this amazing set of movies we know as Star Wars. And in there is this character, Yoda, right, who says, fear leads to anger Anger leads to hatred. Hatred leads to suffering. We find this in Buddhism. We find this in the New Testament scriptures where the master Jesus Christ says more than anything else, be not afraid. So I think on one level, one of the opportunities, and maybe for some of us it's even an obligation, uh, is to pay attention when we're feeling that fear come up and develop response mechanisms so that it isn't in control. And instead of the fear is the love, gratitude, and joy that we can share in our communities. Yeah, making that choice about what you want to experience on a daily basis, what is healthy for you to experience, which is joy and gratitude and serenity and love as opposed to fear, and uh, really trying to cultivate those more beneficial states. I, I'm in agreement with that. On the practical side, I also talk to people about ways to be informed about all the amazing progress that we really are making, such that you know, it seems to me very possible that within five to 20 years, we are going to have really notable evidence that we've turned some corners and we can choose to be informed about that progress, that those forms of healing of the earth and humanity. So. Yes. I would uh, love to share also my friend, Judith Schwartz is an author and her most recent book is called the reindeer chronicles, which the name doesn't exactly immediately uh, indicate what the book is about. The book is an amazing, I would say must read for any of us engaged in the regenerative and sustainability movements chronicling large-scale regeneration projects around the world in places like China, um, in places like Saudi Arabia and uh, New Mexico, Hawaii, Norway, uh, where people and communities are doing across thousands, sometimes millions of acres, incredible regeneration work that is also providing unbelievable benefits back, back to the communities, which were often in many cases previously afflicted by extreme poverty and are no longer. And uh, Judith's book is extraordinary, The Reindeer Chronicles. And just a little side note, you can go to uh, the chelseagreen.com uh, book publishing website. They do all kinds of great authors working on sustainability issues. And if you use the code YOE10, YOE10, you'll get a discount over there too. Um, so that, that is, I think, one of the more important recent publications looking at the incredible reasons for hope and optimism. If we deploy a whole lot more of that kind of stuff, we might just end up where we want to in relatively short order. And why not? 
Yeah, with benefit for all life. Thank you for mentioning that book. I've been hearing about it and I need to read it. And I really like on this podcast to offer our listeners an array of resources to develop this, this hopeful awareness. I'm curious about what you're finding that you personally are learning right now as you continue to engage in this work. Maybe cognitively, something you're learning, maybe personally or interpersonally, because I can tell your approaches to this work are really deep and sincere. And so I imagine there's ongoing learning for you. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's uh, daily. You know, what comes to mind is deepening the connection with the biodynamic community and movement. And there, there's, it's, it's, there's, there's such a humble way of being when working with the biodynamic preparations, which are effectively herbal medicines and probiotic compost products made over the course of many months on a farm, typically, that are medicine for the land and thereby for the plants that in our food and us. And there's such a richness in that tradition that can connect to a lot of our own ethnic heritages, our own ancestral ways of being. And it invites this humility that is also connected to the cosmic creative impulse. And it's, it's potent. And some of my friends are, are some of my favorite teachers. And when I say teacher, I don't just mean in terms of, you know, plant some comfrey over here and some uh, yarrow over here. I mean, in terms of this deeper cultivation of a life of meaning and purpose and balance and joy. And so there's an arena where I learn a ton. Of course, hosting a podcast means that I'm having these structured conversations with all sorts of authors, thought leaders, scientists, youth activists, indigenous elders and others, so that I'm constantly uh, learning from them in that way. And as a writer, uh, it's kind of the best of both worlds because there's this ongoing flow of uh, pertinent and well-articulated information and wisdom that sits with me as I'm in my quieter moments of writing and that more internal uh, practice of putting pen to paper, as it were. I will share as a little teaser, my editors and I are in the late stages working on this epic novel and screenplay that's uh, been uh, gestating over a few years now. And I'm so excited to share this. It's several months out still, but uh, it's something I'm with on the day to day. And, And there's a lot of learning that goes into that project. I think there's also a lot of learning that comes from listening to earth. And that means, yes, nature. And it also means the great giant being that is our earth. And for some of us, that might seem like a stretch. Uh, But I think it's an opportunity that a lot of us have to do more of in our lives. And perhaps if we each choose to do a lot more listening to Gaia, uh, we'll be amazed by the results. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I really advocate for that myself. I think that that can take place in a whole variety of ways from quiet listening to direct contact with Gaia's consciousness. Yes. There's a lot possible there, it seems. There's a lot possible. There really is. Yeah, it it reminds me of uh, this term veriditas. This term apparently was coined by the mystic and community leader Hildegard von Bingen a thousand years ago in what's now called Germany. And any of you Latin scholars out there will recognize veriditas is very similar to the Latin word veritas, which means truth. It's also similar to this veridian word or root that means green, uh, where we get the word verdant, for example. And she created this word veriditas that apparently means the green healing energy of the living Gaia biosphere. 
that's connected to the photosynthesizing chlorophyll found in plants. And it's something I'm now sharing, you know, something a bit more personal that some friends and I are, are working with more intimately. And it seems there is an opportunity for us to cultivate that uh, sort of green healing energy. There's no, it's no accident that the heart chakra in that ancient system is green. And as we move from that heart chakra, which is the middle, up to the blue chakra of throat, which is voice, and down to the yellow chakra of solar plexus, which is will. If, if we stay focused in this heart center and work out from there, boy, that might also astound us. And seems that that veriditas that the great teacher Fun Bingen shared a thousand years ago is something we can uh, connect with more now as well. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Hildegard is special to me. My degrees are actually in medieval history. And surprisingly, I never studied Hildegard when I was um, doing that scholarly work full time. But I'm, I'm familiar with her work. And she was quite pioneer. And I, we probably still haven't really accessed or mined the the full depth of what she was accessing in. We probably haven't accessed the full depth of, of what she was accessing in the high middle ages. Yes. I'm, I'm struck too, looking at some of the lineages, you know, from her, perhaps even beforehand, Pythagoras and some others leading up to her time. And then after her time, we get Goethe and, and Goethe of course had such a profound influence on, Steiner and on Carl Jung. And I'm actually in the middle of reading Jung's autobiography right now, which is wonderful. And he shares some pretty intimate things in there about that connection and lineage. And uh, I, I agree with you that uh, it may behoove us to explore a bit further what Hildegard von Bingen was sharing yeah. with humanity. Uh, so many centuries ago. Yeah, there is growing interest in this. You might like to know that someone I interviewed a few weeks ago, Stefan Harding, who is um, on the faculty at Schumacher College in the UK, he has completed a manuscript looking at the alchemical tradition, and he's just looking for a publisher for that book. Oh, goodness gracious. That's exciting. One thing that I really like to ask people as we come toward the end of an interview, but if you want to share anything further before you address this, feel free. One thing I like to ask is, what do you personally imagine or envision or desire when you think about the general concept of well people on a well planet, thriving, thriving life on a thriving planet? I think it's really important right now for us to individually cultivate and then share with others that kind of heartfelt, joyous optimism. So I'd love you to conclude when you're ready with that. But if there's anything else that you'd like to share with us before you go there, feel free. Thank you, Helen. I want to thank you again for the invitation to be on your podcast and in this discussion with you today. And uh, yeah, what a, what a beautiful question and invitation. In, in Why on Earth, there's a chapter called Envision. And you're asking me to envision and to share that. And it may be that envisioning is one of the most potent superpowers we have as humans. So what I envision in the near future is communities of people all around the planet connecting with soil, with fresh water, with trees and food forests that echo the stories of the Garden of Eden, that have so much more verdancy, abundance, foliage, that precipitation is enhanced, especially in the arid regions of the world. Children laugh and play and learn. Communities are connected through this kind of communication technology worldwide. And our technologies are deployed in a kinder and more intelligent way. For example, we see aircraft flying in the agricultural regions on renewable energy sources. And instead of spraying toxic chemicals 
onto food and soil and into water. They're spraying living land medicines like biodynamic preparations full of countless microorganisms that help restore and heal lands that we've been polluting and abusing for a long while now. And that we are mobilizing in some cases in small groups of three, four, five people. In some cases, three, four, five thousand people planting trees, restoring soil, healing communities. And that we are meanwhile midwifing our economies, our policy and governance structures in the direction of kindness, stewardship, humility, sustainability. And we can do this. And indeed, I believe this is already underway. Uh, And Helen, just as you were saying earlier, uh, the onus is on each of us to connect to more and more resources like your podcast series to get the information in the news on what's happening. And we each are invited, called, I think, to participate in this tremendous awakening and healing that's underway. I'm excited. I'm excited for my children and their future. I'm excited for what this means for each of us in the way we're holding all the ancestral experience coming right down thousands of generations into us right now. And what that means in terms of our responsibility and our invitation to be joyful and to learn to work closely with earth and with life on earth. I think we will see a lot more ceremony and ritual and yoga and self-care and wellness in those dimensions. And we'll see more of that making up the core of our economic activity, all energized by that great nuclear power plant we all share called the sun streaming 173,000 terawatts of energy continuously onto our planet. That abundance we get to celebrate and experience in a whole new level of awareness. I appreciate the, how, how deep and, and comprehensive that vision is. And we simply need to keep sharing those visions and inviting people into them. So thank you, Erin, for the work you're doing. I think it's inspiring. Um, Audience members, you can find Erin at whyonearth.org, and I'll publish that address in the show notes. I hope people will take advantage of this offer to get a discounted copy of Erin's books. I'll put that code in the show notes also. And to continue following Humans of Earth podcasts and other offerings. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on social media. Aaron, thank you once more. It was really a delight to be in conversation with you today. Thank you, Helen. I appreciate it. Have you read Humans and Earth's ebook on informed optimism? It's called A Guide to Informed Optimism Things to Know and Explore to Feel Hopeful About the Human Future with Earth. It's time to be aware that although our problems are serious, healing solutions are already in place. If you hear only the bad news, you might feel hopeless. But once you realize that all around the planet, people are changing the human presence from damaging to restorative, you can feel inspired instead. This is informed optimism. Being alert to the need for Earth's restoration and becoming excited about how much progress we're already making while discovering how you can participate. Explore a guide to informed optimism, things to know and explore to feel hopeful about the human future with Earth, to learn about eight global movements that are restoring the human-Earth relationship, regenerating Earth's systems, and creating jobs and well-being for people. Eight initiatives with the potential to create enormous healing for people and planet. Regenerative food production, renewable energy, renewable and regenerative manufacturing, regenerative land care, natural wellness approaches, communication with Earth's beings, and more. Informed optimism inquiry questions throughout the ebook 
help you consider how you feel as you learn about restorative solutions, how you would like to see them advance, and how you are attracted to participate. Find informed optimism at www.humansandearth.com slash courses. It's only $7. Thank you for listening to Humans and Earth. Please share this episode to broaden engagement in the regeneration our world needs. You'll find social media links in the show notes. To explore our other offerings, visit www.humansandearth.com. read Humans and Earth's ebook on informed optimism? It's called A Guide to Informed Optimism, Things to Know and Explore to Feel Hopeful About the Human Future with Earth. It's time to be aware that although our problems are serious, healing solutions are already in place. If you hear only the bad news, you might feel hopeless. But once you realize that all around the planet, people are changing the human presence from damaging to restorative, you can feel inspired instead. This is informed optimism. Being alert to the need for Earth's restoration and becoming excited about how much progress we're already making while discovering how you can participate. Explore a guide to informed optimism things to know and explore to feel hopeful about the human future with Earth, to learn about eight global movements that are restoring the human-Earth relationship, regenerating Earth's systems, and creating jobs and well-being for people. Eight initiatives with the potential to create enormous healing for people and planet. Regenerative food production, renewable energy, renewable and regenerative manufacturing, regenerative land care, natural wellness approaches, communication with Earth's beings, and more. Informed optimism inquiry questions throughout the ebook help you consider how you feel as you learn about restorative solutions, how you would like to see them advance, and how you are attracted to participate. Find informed optimism at www.humansandearth.com slash courses. It's only $7.